Buddy, Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo and Dojo University as always. Uh, the number one thing you could do for me if you're watching right now is to click that share button and let other people know that you're watching. In addition to that, please comment in and say hi. I couldn't be more happy to hear from you. And of course, today's class is designed to be really interactive. So uh, go ahead and do that. Leave uh, any questions you might have about bagpipe stuff in the comments. We've got a lot of um, pre-questions that came in on the actual event that we're going to cover. And we're just going to try to answer as many awesome bagpipe questions as we can uh, on today's Q&A, it being July 21st, 2016 today. So without further ado, let's get going. All right, so we are back in action here. I'm just going to adjust my camera over this direction here a little bit, just a tiny bit, so that I can see my monitor. And we're going to start to go through uh, some of the questions here uh, that we have going. Uh, welcome. So we have John McCain, Austin, James, uh, Milan, and Daniel. Thanks very much for tuning in. Uh, definitely be sure to interact as much as we can. I think that'll, that's what's going to make this little tiny web show that we have a lot of fun. And again, um, I'll turn off the share logo, but make sure that uh, you share this video up uh, if you're watching. Also, um, if you like this live broadcast, make sure you press the live subscribe button, uh, which is sometimes somewhere up over here in the corner of the screen. Uh, sometimes it, it, Facebook is always messing around with where they put the button. Uh, presumably to try to get more um, people to subscribe to things or or maybe less in some cases. Maybe uh, they're making it less obvious, so you have to prove you're an actual fan. But <clears throat> make sure you check that out as well. And uh, let's get started here. Again, my name's Andrew Douglas, and we're going to go um, temporarily anyway to my top right monitor. Here we are. And uh, we're going to start with what seems to be the oldest question, and we'll go from oldest to newest. Okay, so Richard asks, uh, can you explain the best way to tune your drones to your chanter? Okay, do you tune them to the upper hand or to the lower hand? Okay, so that is a really good question. It could probably be fancy even, and uh, can I, once upon a time you could zoom in in Facebook. But anymore, this is what we're looking at Richard's question here. So the answer is yes, I can definitely try to explain it. Um, at dojouniversity.com, which is our online website for teaching bagpipes. Okay, this is not a sales pitch, but that's where you're going to find like super detailed instructions about how to do this. But I'm going to do my best to explain it to you now uh, verbally. And I really hope that you, uh, you know, get as much as you can. It might be all you need, but if not, that's where you go to look further. So... The best way to tune your drones to your chanter. Well, there's two different ways of approaching it. Uh, I'm going to go through the most common way, which is to start by tuning one of your drones, which would be a tenor drone, to the low A of your chanter. Okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to quite literally fire up our bagpipes. Um, I recommend when you're a beginner to actually use drone corks in the very top of your drones to just shut them off. Uh, and we're just going to start with one drone uh, and we're going to tune it to the low A of the chanter. 
Okay, this is the most common way to do it. And when we listen to the tenor drone against the low A, it's tempting to ask yourself, is this in tune? Okay, uh, my, the way I would teach it is that you actually don't want to do this. Instead, what you want to do is you want to uh, experiment with the drone. So you want to listen to the tenor drone versus the low A. And what we're going to do, and you have to be very subtle here, you can't go crazy, but we're going to very subtly decrease the pressure of the overall bagpipe. So like we're, let's say we're blowing steady at this pressure and we're just going to ever so slightly decrease it. Okay. And the question you want to ask yourself is, does the, uh, does the tuning sound better or worse? Okay. Now, as far as listening for the tuning, it should actually be pretty self-explanatory with enough experimentation. When you ease off, it'll either so start to sound better the drone versus the chanter, or it'll start to sound worse. Okay, and that's the million dollar question. Now from there, we use logic. So what, ha what, what happens when you decrease the pressure? It's gonna make the chanter read a little bit flatter in pitch, otherwise known as a little bit lower in pitch. Okay, so it makes it a little bit lower in pitch, and if it gets better, that means your chanter is higher than the drones. So if your chanter is higher than the drones, that means you want, to, uh, you want to make the drones higher in pitch to match the chanter. You see my logic stream here? So to make the drones higher in pitch to match the chanter, we shorten the drone. We bring the drone down on the pin. Okay, I don't, I'm not going to do like full bagpipe demonstrations, but that's the logical walkthrough of the, um, that's a logical walkthrough of the process. Once you get the tenor drone in tune with the chanter the way that you want, then you get the rest of the drones in tune with the first drone. Okay, so that is my walkthrough. So again, just to review really quickly, we shut off two of our drones, we listen to the tenor drone versus the low A, okay? And then we use what I call the blow trick, which is that little trick of easing off the pressure. You could also go the other way, you could add to the pressure, um, and there are sort of more advanced reasons why I prefer easing off. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to ease off. And if it gets better, I'm going to move the drone down. If it gets worse, I'm going to move the drone up. And then I repeat that process over and over and over again until I get that tenor, per what I consider to be perfectly in tune with low A. Remember that the concept of being in tune is not a destination. It's always a journey. You can always get your pipes that little bit more in tune. So um, be patient with it, experiment with it, and guess what? The bottom line is it's just like anything else where you're really going to have to practice, practice this for hours and hours and hours before you become a true master of it. There's a lot, lots of ins and outs, but that's the basic logic of it. Okay, so now that you know the basic logic, hopefully, Richard, you can get to work and um, get that practice and start to gather that experience. And, uh, you know, before long, you'll really start to get it where you're starting to feel good about the tuning. So uh, there you go, I'm just bringing my phone over here. 19 viewers, sweet. Thank you so much for tuning in everybody. Make sure that you comment in and just say hi if you're here, that would be much appreciated uh, just so I don't feel like I'm talking to myself, which sometimes I actually am because I'm the only one in here, but uh, really appreciative of you guys coming out. Um, okay, Austin, I see your question here. I'm going to go through our pre-questions and then I'll address you right after that, Austin. Actually, no, I changed my mind. I'm going to address you now because you're here watching. So Austin asks, how much time do other pipers spend practicing on the chanter? 
I'm assuming you mean the practice chanter. I practice about an hour a day after work. Okay, first of all, um, it totally varies based on the individual player. Uh, and it totally varies based on, uh, you know, logistics. Uh, the bottom line is, as long as you're actually practicing and not just sort of ambling and wasting time, right? As long as you're actually practicing, it doesn't really matter as long as you do what you can every single day. So like, what do I mean by actually practicing? What I mean is that we're actually breaking down concepts and working to develop technique. Uh, if you're out there, folks, uh, maybe you can comment in. And how many of us out there are guilty of maybe getting our practice chanter out or even our pipes and we just sort of play through tunes and we don't really accomplish much. We just kind of go through our tunes. We get to the end of all our band sets maybe or, or some of our solo tunes and we go, ah, that was a good session. And then we stop playing and go do something else. Uh, how many people are guilty of that? I know I'm guilty of that. Uh, certainly when I'm not in super motivation mode, I'm like really guilty. I get through, play my stuff, then put my pipes down. What I mean by real practicing is rather than just playing through my material, I'm saying something along the lines uh, of this to myself. Okay, well, last practice session, the fourth part was really not good. So let me break down the fourth part bar by bar. Okay, and my game plan is going to be to break it down bar by bar, and, and I'm going to play it slowly very slowly so that I can really pick out any, um, any potential fundamental problems. And then I'm going to really take my time isolating any fundamental problems I have and really uh, applying myself and trying to get it as perfect as I can. Uh, or, you know, the pipe major said I had a sloppy D throw. So I want to break down all the elements in the band repertoire with D throws today. And I really want to implement proper D throw technique carefully at a slow tempo every time. Right? So that's what's, that's what's called good practice. So if you have an hour, I would recommend, you know, uh, I would recommend, I don't know, 80% of that time. That seems to be a good number. 80% of that time should be spent focusing on trying to improve on the things that you're not good at. And then spend the last 20% of your time with run-throughs, kind of kicking back, relaxing, and enjoying yourself and having fun. <clears throat> Or you have to strike that balance, what makes sense for you. Just don't go 100% like awesome fun times. Because um, not only does that not help you get better, um, it can also hurt you in that you're ingraining bad habits by not addressing the things that need to be addressed as soon as possible. Okay, now, part B of this question is, you should spend more time practicing on the full bagpipes than on the practice chanter. The only exception to this rule being uh, uh, if you are just a beginner and not on the bagpipes yet. That would be the only exception to the rule I can think of. So whenever it's possible to play the full bagpipes, that's what you should play. That's what you should play. And I, uh, I, I'm a strong believer in this. So even if you have to break down your D throws and play with a really slow tempo with a metronome, guess what? They have these things called headphones. Uh, and the smartphone can go right in your pocket. Like, get those pipes out, right? Uh, and play with the metronome on the pipes. Break down the D throw on the pipes. So part B of my response to this is going to be, don't be lazy and only do practice chanter just because it's so easy to do. Remember that we're in this to be great pipers. And, uh, you know, I was really guilty of this uh, uh, as I was developing as well. Like, you know, I was a young, talented player, and 
uh, it was fun to play the electronic practice chanter and the practice chanter and just doodle around and play tunes super fast. But I think I was, you know, my growth as a instrumentalist of the bagpipe was a little bit stunted by that because I didn't spend enough time developing my sensitivity for the instrument skills like tuning, uh, steady blowing, great tonal quality, which I discovered embarrassingly late in my career. Uh, you know, I was already probably a professional grade piper uh, before uh, I had the opportunity to sit with Jack Lee long enough for him to like actually be able to demonstrate to me that uh, what I thought was a good sounding bagpipe was actually nothing of the sort. He really opened my eyes to that. So, you know, and that's just one of those things where we have to play a lot on the actual bagpipes in order to sort of get to those key moments. So uh, I hope that helps, Austin. It's a really good question. Obviously, the practice chanter is a great tool. I'm not saying never play a practice chanter. I'm just saying make sure you're being real. And when you have an hour after work, right, play the bagpipes for an hour instead of the practice chanter for an hour whenever possible because that's going to make you a better bagpiper. So that's my spiel on that. Really good question. Neil says, this ties in with what you're talking about right now. What advice would you offer for students of mine who either don't practice enough to get the basics down or get tunes memorized? What advice would I offer for students of mine who either don't practice enough to get the basics down or get tunes memorized? Uh, that's a good question. I think it's a delicate balance. I think some people are just not as interested as they say they are in becoming a bagpiper. Unfortunately, that's probably, you know, that's probably the case more often than not, you know, which is kind of too bad. Um, and then for those people who are actually motivated to become a piper and they're not practicing enough, that probably means they're not approaching practice in the right way. Believe it or not, even though all this stuff I talk about seems to resemble hard work, um, there are also like tons of ways to make it really fun. For example, what we're trying to do at dojouniversity.com is to actually make it fun, right? You can sit there and play along with a great piper like myself or Rob Matheson, Glenn Brown, uh, Carl Donnelly, all these guys who are on there teaching tunes. You can sit down, pop the headphones in, and literally play along with great pipers. Uh, and that's super fun. Uh, you don't always have to focus on uh, your A repertoire. You can dabble in other tunes and experience different things and go around and have fun or, you know, plug in an electronic chanter and play along with the Red Hot Chili Pipers. Uh, like there's a million different ways to make practicing fun. So maybe that's it, Neil. I don't really know. Um, you know, and then there's always there's that also that ingredient that's always there, which is a little bit of uh, butt kicking can be a good thing too. like, listen, buddy, you got to get off your butt and practice. Uh, not, not literal butt kicking, but, uh, you know, sometimes just a little bit of good old fashioned, uh, forced motivation can be good. But again, like it has to be fun. That was the key for me. Uh, I had a ton, a ton of fun playing bagpipes and doodling around and, um, you know, and I had access to my dad who was a really good piper and uh, the rest is history as they say, but you have to get to that point. I think the students at Dojo U that are doing the best are kind of having fun, right? They're tuning in with me on a regular basis every morning uh, and we're going through the topics every single day. And sure enough, after a couple months, which just fly by, people are showing like huge improvement. Um, Austin, at what point do you transition and purchase a set of pipes? As soon as possible. So as soon as you can play a couple of 
um, you know, a couple of tunes on the pipes, uh, you should be considering purchasing the instrument. Absolutely. Um, you know, if, you know, one of the best things you can do is borrow a set. Most people who are out there teaching bagpipes will have like a set of pipes laying around or whatever, like get going on those as soon as you can. Learn the basics as soon as you can, because guess what? You know, that life event is going to come around the corner, you know, next week. We don't even know what it is. You know, like uh, maybe you're going to have uh, another baby or maybe you're going to decide to join a gym or maybe you're going to decide that you really want to play golf again. And then you're going to put uh, practice chantering on the back burner and you never got to that point of actually getting the pipes and really getting fired up about playing the full instrument. And that's a great reason people stop playing is because they wait way too long to get on the pipes. So as soon as possible, get on the pipes and uh, start to do things, right? It is a delicate balance. Maybe that's going to be a hidden theme of today's session. It is going to be a delicate balance because you do have to learn the technique and the practice chanter is, you know, the, the best, most accessible way to do that. But you want to get on the pipes as soon as you can. Milan says, double tuning on the bass drone. What causes it and how do you correct it? Uh, I'm going to refer you to past episodes of um, Piper's Dojo TV. There's a couple of past episodes all about getting good strike-ins where we talk about the double-toning bass. Uh, but the, the short answer is if the bass tunes too high on the pin, it's going to cause double-toning. And it doesn't matter you know, how expensive or awesome the bass read is. It doesn't matter who made it or what material it's made out of. It's just like, for some reason, it's some thing of physics where the higher it tunes on the pin, the more at risk you are. So you want to get the bass tuning on the pin. I'm talking about the very first pin that's sort of perpendicular to the tenor stocks, right? You want to get that tuning no more than half an inch above the projecting mount. Any more than that, and you're going to be at risk of double toning. So you correct it by sorting that out. And I'll refer you to uh, other episodes there, Milan, uh, just because... We've got a ton of questions to get to, and um, that one I've answered, I think, pretty good in some previous episodes. And Milan, you know me, so if uh, for whatever reason you can't find it, just let me know, and we'll uh, drill into it a bit more. <clears throat> all right, guys, really enjoying all the questions. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, be sure, if you're just getting in, that you comment in and say hi. Don't be a lurker. Just say hi, and uh, you know it'll be nice to know that you're out there. Also, uh, if you don't mind... Uh, press that uh, share button on your video just to let people know that you're watching so uh, we can you know, help people as much as we can, which is the mission of these free shows. So I hope that um, you're enjoying it so far. Hey, Billy, thanks for commenting in. I appreciate it. Hey, Guy, as well. Welcome. Okay, back over to my monitor here. Margaret asks, what is the ideal tempo for grade three bands to play MSRs at? The answer... It's 78.987 beats per minute. Next question. Just kidding. So the answer to this question is not a number, and it really bothers me when people work towards the number all the time. Um, it's not a number. It's whatever tempo is the best tempo to play at, right? So when you're in a grade three band, you should have a good understanding of where everyone is in your band fundamentally speaking and in grade three people are usually intermediate level players so we don't want to strive for the tempos that the top bands in the world are doing we definitely 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 don't want to do that it drives me nuts when grade three bands try to do that 
not because they're bad people, not because they stink, but just because they're not to that level yet where it is responsible uh, or a musically good idea to try to get, you know, to hit the 80 beat per minute mark. So uh, back in the day, right, 1987, all the way through, you know, the late 90s, bands were playing 2-4 marches up around 84 at the World Pipe Band Championships. Okay. And, and for the longest time, in all the bands I was involved in growing up through the ranks, 84 was the tempo we were trying to get all the marches to. And you can imagine how the marches came out. Now, in the modern era, bands are playing marches a little bit slower. So grade one bands like Field Marshal Montgomery and Inverarian District and other bands of the sort, they're playing marches more around 80 beats per minute. But where I'm going with this is... First of all, 80 beats per minute is the tempo that you're going to hear uh, in the recordings of major championship competitions, otherwise known as the most adrenaline-stoked moment of the entire season for these bands. What happens when we're playing bagpipes and the adrenaline starts cranking? Do we tend to play tunes exactly the same tempo we always practice them or not? And the answer is, of course, we tend to sort of uh, gear up and we tend to play faster. We actually probably perceive time differently due to the chemical changes caused by adrenaline. So anyway, my point is this is the fastest that that grade one band plays that tune all year long is what you're hearing on these recordings. In reality, the tunes are probably being practiced two, three, four beats per minute less. And this is a grade one band. So even the top bands in the entire world are playing marches, let's say, at 76 to 78 beats per minute in practice. Okay, these are the absolute best bands in the world. So where does that put an intermediate group like a grade three band? I'll give you a hint. Not 76 beats per minute. Probably more along the lines of 70 beats per minute would be the maximum practice tempo for a band like that. And again, it depends on the tune. Some tunes are suited more for 71 beats per minute, and some are like 68.3975. But again, the number is not as important as whatever tempo you need to play it at in order to produce the best musical product. It's much more musical to play a march at a slower tempo with all the fundamentals being displayed really well than it is to force the tempo to go too fast and to have things come through sloppy. Okay, so... Uh, that's a very long way of answering that question, but the bottom line is for intermediate bands like a grade three, okay, you want to sort of use common sense and deduce the fact that we should probably be playing 10 to 15% slower than grade one bands across the board. If grade one bands are playing stress bays at 120 beats per minute, you know, what's 10% slower than that? 108, right? 105, 108, that would be a great tempo for a grade three stress bay if played really well. Uh, It's a difficult thing to balance with drum cores as well. They need a little bit more tempo just because of the physics of how drumming works. Uh, But somewhere in there, that'll be your common ground. Uh, But the reason why is because as intermediates, it's it's more musical for us to play slower. Al says, the cruise is not a possibility for me this year. That's too bad. So for anyone just tuning in, uh, in early February, 
next year, Dojo University is going on a cruise, and you're absolutely welcome to come. Uh, you can check out cruise.dojouniversity.com. Maybe somebody like John, would you mind pasting that link in the comments for us? Uh, John is a regular who uh, can help out. Uh, cruise.dojouniversity.com. We're going on a cruise next year. It would be awesome to have any of you join us, even if you're not currently a member. doesn't matter. And we're basically having a piping school on a cruise. So we'll be cruising through the Western uh, Caribbean. We'll have three full days of awesome bagpipe intensity. And then in between each of those days, we'll be at port in uh, Cozumel, Mexico. We'll be in Haiti and Royal Caribbean's own resort town, which I think is actually the one in Haiti. Jamaica, too. Yeah, Jamaica is the third destination. Uh, so we're going to have an awesome time on the cruise and kick some butt in a super fun way. Um, and that's one of our uh, meetup events that we're putting on. So definitely check that out. <clears throat> but anyway, Al's question was, do you have any plans for any future weekend seminars that may offer some hands-on tutoring and help? Al, the answer is, yeah, I absolutely, it's on my mind. Um, it just takes a long time. I have always found that you can't throw these things together willy-nilly either. So... The answer to that question is, yeah, we definitely want to do uh, more get-togethers. The cruise is the first big experiment. I will say that I'm 95% sure that the dojo, mainly me, I'll be teaching in Las Vegas the first weekend of October this year. Um, it'll be a workshop hosted by the Las Vegas uh, pipe band, but others are welcome is my understanding. So yes is the answer. We'll be dabbling in that as we move forward a little bit. Gary. Oh, this is a great question, Gary. Thank you. So he's a newbie, he says. How do we slow the wet blow syndrome? And I assume, I can only assume what you mean is when you're playing the practice chanter or the pipes, you get this sort of, um, you get this sort of effect. <laughs> Where the drool kind of comes all the way down the chanter like this and it gets all drooly and then it becomes impossible to uh, grip the chanter and all that stuff. Gary, I assume that's what you mean. And that's, to by the way, first of all, that's totally normal and there's nothing to be ashamed of, even though it can look kind of awkward, right? And it always kind of makes you smile because it is just one of those little hurdles that we all have to get over logistically and it's just the way that it is. However, I will say this. You have to use the dry part of your lips on the chanter or on the bagpipe itself. Okay, so you'll notice, this is going to get a little gross. You'll notice, where my lips here? And uh, there's the dry part here. It's dry. There's no moisture on the lips. But then at a certain point, it crosses over to no longer being outside of my mouth to actually being inside. And it gets wet. And as soon as you let the wet part of your lips touch the blowpipe, okay, you're going to lose the traction that you need to keep a good seal. So the technique that you need to develop there is to only use the dry part of your lips when playing. You see, when I play, I'm kind of tucked in here, right? Because I don't want to let the wet part touch. Right? As soon as I let the wet get in there, I no longer have retraction, and then I'm going to lose my grip really fast. So there is a little bit of lip strength and coordination involved, but it's mostly about keeping things dry. As soon as it starts to get wet, you're going to lose the grip. Great question, though. And that's always how I teach it. Uh, John says, now that you've cleared up the tempo issue, exactly what pitch should we be at? See, you're just trying to get me going. We talked about this this morning, John. 
So the pitch is the same thing. For an intermediate band, like a grade three band, or even a grade two band, by the way, grade two bands are still intermediate bands. They might have some pro players in them or something like that, but they're still intermediate bands. And unless you're winning, 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 winning in grade two, that's sort of where I would cross over into being advanced, just for the record, right? Like if we're gauging that. Like if you, uh, if you can go to the Worlds and get a prize in grade two, uh, that means you're an advanced band. And that's just, that's just my own personal demarcation. That those would be advanced. Intermediate would be anywhere from like grade three uh, to upper level of grade two. And then beginner bands would be grade five and four bands. <clears throat> Good? So uh, beginner and intermediate groups, the pitch shouldn't be a priority. Okay? Getting a well-tuned band on a great foundation should be the priority. If you try to push the pitch too much, you're just going to make the instrument sound bad. And um, it's all, it should be all about getting a well-balanced setup on the chanter that your band is playing. A well-balanced setup, well-tuned, well-blown across the board, right? Don't worry about pitch. Worry about the fact that uh, no one in your band can blow steadily at the sweet spot that's what you should be worried about, right? That's the, that's the big thing. Can my individuals, can the individuals in the band produce a good sound on their instruments? That is the only focus, only focus, only focus. And then when you start to bridge the gap towards being an advanced band where everybody has individuals that are blowing bagpipes well across the board, right? Then you can start thinking about, okay, if I had slightly sweeter pitch, that might help me, right? That's, that's a, uh, you know, that's the same sort of thing. I know John is just uh, trying to wind me up. Roger asks, is it over? No, we're just getting started. John says, why do most pipers seem to instinctively play ahead of the beat? For the most part, Dojo has helped me to get better with this, but I'm curious as to its cause. Um, I've speculated on this in class. John uh, comes all the time when we focus on beat accuracy. Uh, but one of the things that we've noticed beyond any shadow of a doubt, is that most pipers have a tendency to rush the beat. So if there's a metronome clicking away, pipers have a tendency to rush. Uh, for, for instance, very few, I've never met a piper that hears the click and always comes in late. It's always rushing. 99.9% .9 of the time, it's always rushing. Why is that? I don't know. We need like a psychologist, a musical psychologist. Uh, probably has something to do with the fact that uh, pipers have no tacit we have no ability for tacit. Tacit meaning empty space in between notes. So let's say you play clarinet or trumpet. You can use your tongue and you can start and stop notes. And it's probably much easier uh, to really hit those beats from a technical sort of uh, physical standpoint. Whereas on bagpipes, you never get a break, right? The chanter's always going. And so I think the tendency to rush is probably built in there somewhere. But that's just blind speculation. Uh, but there you go. Roger just got in. There's like a waiting list at the door today. I've got 34 live viewers. You know, the amazing thing about Facebook is you see Mark Zuckerberg do his live broadcast and you can go anywhere from three people watching live to like 134,000. It's an amazing technology, which is why, you know, we're trying to do the most that we can with it. So these are all great questions. Let me switch back over uh, to our next question on the monitor. Here we go. Uh, Peter says, have you got any suggestions for loosening up the D finger in a Lemlueth grip Odro? I'm working to find a balance between playing the movement big and open versus getting a nice crisp 
sound at risk of occasionally missing the D grace note? Okay. Really good question. Um, the answer for me is going to be in breaking down what the grip actually is. So um, the grip is a three-step embellishment. Okay, the steps are uh, play low G, that D grace note on low G, and then up to the note, right? And then how do we loosen up that D grace note? Well, um, it shouldn't really be loose or tight. It should just be a grace note, okay? And, and we practice the grip by the steps, I think. What's probably causing, Peter, what's probably causing you to be super crushed here is that you're just trying to do a quick finger spasm movement that's a grip, right? We've all been taught the movements of the grip, uh, but instead I want you to think of each step one at a time as you play it. And that's going to help everything come out more relaxed and without the feeling of needing to crush things and play it crisp, right? <laughs> If we just cram that uh, C grip in there based on the movements, okay, it's just going to be hard to control anything. But if we play this, one, two, three, one, two, three, and then from there, very gradually speed it up, right? We, have a, we'll, we will develop a huge degree of control over exactly how tight or open that we want the movement. And uh, we will hopefully have developed a very natural D grace note happening there that doesn't feel like it's going to be thwarted or accidentally missed or something like that. So Peter, I really hope that helps. Um, it's one of those things we have to just dig in and practice it. But uh, uh, hopefully I gave you some hints on how you might practice it the right way. Evan, can you go over the difference between F played in general music and the F played in Kel Moore? College of Piping Tutor 4 doesn't really explain it well. First of all, I'm pretty sure you mean high G, not F, because F in Kel Moore, right, this is the finger position for F, is played identically, right? So in P-Brock and in light music, F is played identically. Okay, now in, um, however, there is a difference in the high G. A P-Brock high G, so here's a light music high G, we all know it, right? Three fingers off the hole, high A still on there, right hand in the home position. Uh, the high G looks like this, Th three fingers off. In P-Brock high G, it's exactly the same, only difference being the middle finger is on the hole. So it looks like that. And that is a P-Brock high G. So whenever we play a P-Brock, that is the finger position we use when we get to a melody note high G. Okay, it's very simple. Uh, and that's really it. Uh, and then there are some different bits of technique that will crop up over time the more you play P-Brock um, where, where it starts to become clear why the high G is fingered that way. Right? There are some key embellishments that sort of re require that position versus uh, what has become the classic light music position. Okay, really good question. I hope that helps. Uh, welcome everybody watching. I know people are coming in and out. Be sure to comment in and say hello and share. If you have any questions, right, uh, I've decided I will be addressing live questions first, and then we're going to our backup questions that we have here. So um, make sure that if you have questions, you type it right into that live chat right now, and then we will rock and roll. 
Also, uh, if you missed any memo, be sure that you are live subscribed. Sometimes Facebook has a button right there where I put my little arrow. Uh, sometimes it's somewhere else, but make sure you press that live subscribe option button there so you get notified when the Piper's Dojo goes live because we you may have noticed we've been doing a lot of these Facebook live casts because they're super fun and we're really enjoying using this technology to help bagpipers. So uh, there you go. Let's continue on. Jim says, wish I could make it, but I have a doctor's appointment. All right, Jim, thanks for commenting in. Really appreciate it. On to our next question. My next question relates to transitioning to the bagpipes. Even though I have been marching with my band for a year and a half. Oh yeah, I remember reading this. This is a good question. I am still struggling with strength. I seem to be the only one in the band that struggles so much to keep my pipes going that my face goes blue and I nearly pass out. Sure, I'm a female piper, by the way, doesn't matter. Females can blow just as good of an instrument as males, right? Like there's just, I guess, I guess there's probably a slight biological difference. Maybe some men are like biologically stronger, uh, but I met some awesome female pipers that produce amazing bagpipe sounds. So don't let that be a limiting belief, right? You're going to be able to do this no matter what. You have a slight frame. Okay, so you might not have maximum strength, but as we're going to talk about in a second, it doesn't matter. Uh, but I have seen plenty of women piping their hearts out. Exactly. My read is easy. Quote. So I have a feeling it has to do with my blowing and squeezing ratio. Uh, a bandmate once said to me, blow less, squeeze more. <clears throat> but I'm not getting it. Any advice or rules of thumb? Hey, look. Oh, there's Ailey. She's a great piper right there. Just commenting in. Thanks, Ailey. I like the, the little winky face. Um, so here's the bottom line is, okay, yeah, blowing and squeezing, sure. Practice that. Uh, blow less, squeeze more. Uh, I think my ratio is maybe 60-40. So I blow, I'm, I'm blowing 60% of the time. And then I am squeezing probably 40% of the time. So I blow a little bit more than I squeeze, but not that much more. Really, it should be a pretty organic flow between blowing and squeezing. But I am willing to bet money that this has more to do with the way your bagpipe is set up than it does with your blowing technique. So uh, we have a little ritual that we do uh, in, at the dojo, and we call it the four questions. Okay, and the four questions are the same group of questions that we ask every single time we get our bagpipes out of the case. Okay, and quite literally, like, yeah, I know, uh, I know you're probably saying, yeah, right, Andrew, you probably don't practice what you preach. Uh, but I actually do, and I actually do it every single time I get my pipes out of the case. And this is one of the things I teach the most because it's really the most important. So let's ask the four questions right now. By the way, if you guys know in the comments, go ahead and comment in. My new cool microphone's kind of in the way. I'm going to move it here just a little bit. Okay, question number one. Is my bag, I'm going to write the questions and then we'll address them later. Is my bag airtight? Question two. Uh, are my joints airtight? Question three. Are my reed seats airtight? And question four are my drone reads perfectly calibrated, okay? These are the four questions. I literally ask myself these questions every single time I get my pipes out of the box. Question number one, is my bag airtight? If I know for sure my bag's airtight, great. 
But if you haven't corked up your bag in a while and blown into the bag as hard as you possibly can, like really, really as hard as you possibly can, then you should be able to walk away for 30 seconds come back to the bag and still literally not like figure of speech. You should still literally not be able to blow another single solitary breath into that bag. Um, interestingly, uh, you guys may remember Robbie Beaton was here a week or two ago and I was helping him get a sheepskin tied on. That's right. Even expert pipers know they should go to people who really know what they're doing to tie on a sheep. <laughs> it's because it's like so valuable. But I also showed him, um, you know, I also seasoned the pipes right there for him. I showed him my method for seasoning a new sheep and he was blown away at how tight I got the bag. Um, you know, just, I'm not sure, you know, he had seen that method before and I, you know, and we were able to season it right here in the shop and I blew into the bag as hard as I could. You know, we've been piping for a long time and we have a lot of strength. So this thing was really full. And then we put it down and we uh, walked away for like not just 30 seconds, for like a couple minutes, and came back and I was like, all right, Robbie, go ahead, try to blow into that bag. He could not get a single solitary iota, single solitary molecule of air in there, otherwise known as that bag is really, really tight. And guess what? That's question one. You have to ask that question every single time you play your instrument. And if you don't ask the question, you could be in for uh, turning blue and passing out. Like, who was it that asked the question here? Ellen Mary, it looks like her name is. Um, so, you know, is the bag airtight? Now, do I have to season my bag every day? Of course not. But uh, every single time I come to my pipes, I'm feeling my sheepskin bag. You might have a different kind of bag. Um, hopefully, it's a hide bag that uses seasoning. Uh, but if not, you know, it would be a synthetic bag where you want to test it on a fairly regular basis. But for the hide bag, I just go over, I make sure it still feels a little bit goopy from the seasoning. Okay, make sure things are feeling good. Uh, and then that's sort of just my check. Like, okay, my bag should be taken care of. Everything's been feeling great. If I ever have doubts, I'm corking it up and testing it, right? Uh, question two, are my joints airtight? And these are any joint that connects to that bag, which we know is perfectly airtight. But the next thing is anything that's connected to that bag also has to be airtight. So every time I approach my instrument, I'm physically checking all the joints to make sure that there's a solid resistance there and that there's no air that can sneak through the joints. And then I do the same thing with the reed seats, okay? Because I know the bag is airtight. I know everything hooked into the bag is airtight. Now I need to make sure where the reed meets the item, like the chanter or the drone, that the reed is snugly fit and no air is sneaking around the reed. If you think that's a trivial matter, you're wrong, okay? What's, where's the air going to go? Uh, through the tiny little opening of the reed or through a loose joint where there's plenty of space. The air will take the path of least resistance and can be a major issue. So those reed seats have to be airtight. Okay. And then step four is making sure the drone reeds are perfectly calibrated, which I'm not going to go into today because it takes a solid half hour to teach that concept. But the, uh, the idea here is that those drone reeds should only take the absolute minimum amount of air that they possibly need to take. And they need to be calibrated very carefully to the strength of your chanter reed so that you're operating with 100% efficiency. And so Ellen, or Ellen Mary, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce your name, but I'm willing to bet money, I could be wrong, but I'm, I would be willing to bet money that that's your issue, not your technique. So uh, definitely reach out to us if you need more help there. Um, there's tons of information on Dojo University about how to drill down into all four of those questions because it's so important. By the way, we talked about tuning earlier, I think maybe. Tuning, 
Not going to happen until you ask the four questions. Blowing steady, not going to happen until you answer the uh, four questions. Blowing uh, the wet raspberries on the bagpipes, guess what? If you maintain your bagpipes properly by asking the four questions, um, you're going to be able to solve that problem a lot faster. Last thing I will say about this is hopefully you notice that by asking the four questions and addressing these things properly, we, can, we now know for sure without any shadow of a doubt that our bagpipes are operating the way they're supposed to be operating. Got it? Hopefully that's helpful. Hopefully that's helpful for everybody, not just Ellen. Yeah, um, John, this is a great point. And I, George, I also see your question. I'm not uh, forgetting you. John says, I watched Stuart Little the other day, who's a very famous bagpiper, probably, well, anyway, he's also my pipe major currently. So I have to, I can't be like too much of a suck up, but he's probably, in my opinion, my favorite bagpiper living. Let's say that much. Let's go there. Um, but he blows for five seconds and inhales for only one second. I would be interested to discuss with Stuart, you know, cause that's definitely how it looks for sure. Um, he blows for a very long time. I would be interested in asking him how much he's blowing at a hundred percent and how much of that is actually part of the transition into the squeeze. You know what I mean? So if we talk about blowing and squeezing, right? It's kind of a, it's not just blow and stop blowing and then start squeezing and then blow. And it's not like that, right? It's one of these. So a lot of times when you see players that seem to be blowing for a really long time, like myself, I blow for a very long time, but a large percentage of the time I appear to be blowing, I'm actually in transition to the squeeze. But you can't just stop blowing, right? You can't just let go of the blowpipe. So that sort of visual can be deceiving, John. George says, when does one sanitize the pipe bag and how do you do it? Okay, scary answer to this question. Like never. I just don't do it. I hope the bagpipe gods take care of me. And if anything, it's actually helping my immune system by exposing me to all the nasty stuff that must be in there. Um, if any, if any like great pipers are out there watching this and you actually do something to sanitize your pipes on a regular basis, comment in and help us out with there. The scary version is I've never met anyone that sanitizes their bag. If I showed up to an Inverary district practice and we're like, hey guys, like want to sanitize our uh, pipes later? I doubt anyone would be interested. They'd be probably more interested in a strong pint that kills any of the germs. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. Hopefully that's not too gross, but uh, I think that's pretty much the way that it is. Guy says, can you share that method of seasoning with us in a video? I don't need to. So the method I was referring to, it um, goes something like this. When I tie in a sheepskin bag, I get it all tied in. Uh, I get a, you know, at least half a can, if not two thirds of a can of seasoning. I get it really, really hot, dump it in the brand new sheepskin bag, rub it around obviously in the bag. But then what I do, and people think I'm crazy, but to me it's the most important part of the process, is I then blow into the bag, right? It's all corked up, I blow it up, I get it nice and tight, right? And really tight, and, and the, the seasoning is getting into all those pores. It can take a couple breaths to get it to tighten up. But then what I do, is I then put the bag on the floor, right? It's, all, it's blown up, you know, way tighter than a Tom Brady football, right? It's blown up really tight. Uh, and then I put the uh, bag on the floor 
and then I literally kneel on the bag, putting my entire weight on top of it, and I bounce up and down on it like 10 to 20 times. And I'm a big guy, like I'm probably 240 pounds. And Robbie was looking at me like I was crazy. Uh, but what that does, and you ease into it, like don't just start jumping on the bag, but you kind of like put some weight on it, then you put a little bit more, uh, and then, you know, and you're not bouncing like a trampoline, you're just, you know, putting, you know, little pulses of weight on the bag and that full force of it to really get the air into, you know, to really get the hot seasoning into all those pores right away. And for me, that's the magic that really gets it to, um, to be tight. <clears throat> Uh, there are risks involved, like you have to make sure those corks are tight because if they're not, they'll uh, pop out and spray everywhere. I've learned that the hard way a couple times. I never do that in the, you know, on the carpet or in a nice like area anymore because <laughs> I've learned that lesson uh, the hard way too many times. But that's the method. I don't, you don't need a video. Um, by the way, it also proves whether or not your tie-in job is actually good. Right, because if you put 250 pounds or more of weight on that and bounce up and down on it, if the stocks are not tied in well, they're going to pop right out, which seems bad, but it's actually what you want to know. You want to know that there's no way that stock is ever coming out. So, um, you know, a couple of reasons, but that's my technique. Um, yeah, you got to know what you're doing. If your tie in's loose, it's going to result in a mess, not in a tight bag. Uh, there you go. Ailey says, hemping the reeds. I use easy drones, which have slight conical shape where the hemp sits. Sometimes they fall out dis despite being well hemped. Uh, my pipes aren't here right now, but if I, um, I sometimes use easy drones. If I took my easy drone and I put it in my pipes, uh, in, in my base drone, let's say, and I turn the base drone upside down and I shook it like this, the reed would not come out. I've actually demonstrated that live at Dojo U. You might be asking yourself, how is that even possible? It's not some wizardry with hemp. It's actually that I have the reed seats threaded. Just exactly like a, uh, a chanter is, most of the modern chanters now have threaded reed seats. Uh, I've done the same with my drone reed seats. And I recommend it 10,000% because reeds will then never, ever come out. It's not something you ever have to worry about again. Because, you know, like, like there's the whole little, t you put the tail on it to make sure if it does fall out, it doesn't fall into the bag or whatever. Like, I just never deal with that anymore. And I have better tone as a result because my reeds are very, very snug in the reed seat at all times. And it's just not something I worry about. So that's a good question. Um, if you want to contact us, we can give you more information about threading drone reed seats. Uh, definitely highly recommend it. <coughs> John says, good point. He knows Stuart is in superb physical shape too. Yeah, you're probably right. He's better shape than me. Leave it at that. Uh, John says, if you're worried about things growing in your bag, put a copper penny inside. Copper is antifungal. Okay. Okay, people, go ahead with the, pe the pennies. Again, like, uh, does that work? Don't know. All I know is, having played with many, many great pipers for many, many years, I've never seen one of them pop a penny in the bag. Just saying. John has threaded the drone reed seats. Take some nerves, but oh, so worth it. Thank you, John. I agree 100%. Okay, good. Keep asking those questions in the live chat. They have priority over the backup questions. But now we're moving on to James who asks, 
I play in a grade four band in Scotland and I've recently joined the circle and competing, but every time I'm at band practice, I keep making the same mistakes. And when I practice at home, I feel like I don't. I think this might be linked to nerves, probably absolutely linked to nerves when I'm in the circle at band practice. By the way, I have the same problem. I was just explaining this the other day. It might have even been on one of these live feeds. So I have the same problem. So when I prepare, I'm, I'm currently playing with the Inverarian District Pipe Band in Scotland. I live in New York State. So I have to basically um, practice at home and prepare. And then I get on a plane. And uh, with the exception of in August, where I'll have a couple of weeks to get to work with the band. Uh, I have to go over, I get two rehearsals, and then I have to compete with, you know, what I think is the best band in the world. That's why I joined. Uh, but that's a very hard thing to do. And what happens is, no matter how hard I practice, this is going back to what is real practice, but every time, you know, I practice really hard at home, you know, an hour pretty much every single day uh, to get ready. And then I go over there and I get into band and I instantly start second guessing myself. And I'm, a, you know, very good piper, let's say, because, uh, and I'm very experienced. And this still happens to me. The reality is that we're not actually preparing the right way at home. So rather than ex get into like this deep diatribe on how to do that, I am going to prescribe homework to anybody who struggles with performance nerves. Okay, number one, uh, grab your smartphone or anything that will record audio. Now, if you're recording on a typical device like a smartphone, you're gonna wanna grab a couple of towels out of the bathroom to put it on top of the phone so that, it so that the sound of the super loud bagpipes doesn't distort the recording. So, you know, you muffle it with some towels so, so it's not like super loud. Or you can buy a really good Zoom recorder is the brand we recommend um, if you're really into recording. Um, but do this thing with the smartphone first because it's free. So what I want you to do is get your recording all set up and ready, James, of the band material. And I want you to record yourself. But there are two very important rules of recording, right? Important rule number one is you're only allowed one chance. And no one's there. There's no referee there. You're going to have to hold yourself to this. But you're only allowed one chance to play the band material on the recording. You only get one chance. You are not allowed to retake. There is only one. Okay? That's rule number one. Rule number two is you have to take that recording uh, and either share it on Facebook or email it to your pipe major and a pipe sergeant in the band. And, you know, anybody else that's better than you. Preferably at least five people. Okay? I have a SoundCloud account. So when I'm in like super solo prep mode, I do this exact thing. And it's what helps me get from, you know, practicing hard to actually knowing I have what it takes to perform under pressure. So what this tape recording exercise does is it forces you to play under pressure. You have to send that recording. You only get one take. If you force yourself to follow those rules, and if you do that, let's say once a week for the next four weeks, you will stop making mis those mistakes at band. Uh, if you don't do it and kind of blow it off or if you try and cut corners or if you allow yourself more than one take, it's probably not going to get any better. But the reality of the situation is you need man hours to get rid of the nerves. I have a student, very good, very good piping student, um, who is an airplane pilot. And he said the same thing to me, which is I can fly an airplane with 200 people on board, right? All of their lives are literally in my hand. It, hands. If I screw up, we all die. Literally, that's what happens if you're a pilot, right? But he doesn't get nervous when he flies an airplane. Uh, 
but he does get nervous when he plays bagpipes, something where if you screw up, nobody dies. People hardly even care. It's like a normal thing, right, at a bagpipe solo competition. Uh, but when he gets his pipes out to play solo material, he gets really nervous and doesn't perform as well. And I asked him, how many hours of flight time have you logged uh, where you have passengers? And he's like thousands and thousands of hours, of course, right? I'm a pilot. That's the whole point. Um, and so I said, there you go. So you have thousands of hours of performance experience. And then I asked him, how many hours of experience do you have playing under pressure for people who are better than you? Um, you know, in your entire bagpipe career, huh? you know, and certainly because he stopped playing for several years and then started up again. So since you started playing again, um, how many hours have you spent? And he thought about it for a second and he said, maybe one hour max. Well, there you go. It's as simple as that. You're not actually prepared, which is why you're nervous. And the same is going to be true at band practice. And that's the same that's true for me. So when I prepare for my band, granted, um, you know, um, I'm very experienced playing in bands, so I'm not as likely to have any sort of like colossal major mistakes, but, but even just to feel as comfortable as I want to so I can contribute the most that I can, I have to prepare better than just practicing for X amount of hours at home. I have to actually prepare myself for the scenario I'm going to be in. So you have to record yourself. You have to put yourself under that pressure. Uh, you have to visualize it. You have to prepare it. So that is really good advice I just gave. I'm really proud of myself there. Hopefully that really helps you. James, do that homework. You will feel better after you do it four times. Copper pennies, copper pennies, threaded drone seats. <laughs> yes, Ailey, great point. You could shove the iPhone down uh, in between the cushions of the sofa. That helps muffle it as well. Uh, but you just don't want, you don't want your recording to sound nasty that nobody wants to hear it just because it like pierces your ears to listen to it, right? That's, that's all I'm getting at. So it can be, you know, consumer recording devices are not designed for the uh, decibel level of bagpipes and the harmonic richness. So if we muffle it, it comes through much, much better. Okay. Uh, by the way, guys, I'm about to do my last standby question. Um, so if you watching live have any questions left, this is your last chance to type them in uh, because once I'm done with this question, if we have no more, that'll be the end. So here we go. Darren says, I play a Ganaway hide bag. Very good bags. I'm about to re-season it, but I'm curious as to cleaning out old seasoning and the different methods people use. Okay, I have heard of a technique that uses diluted mouthwash, then hanging and drain to repeat if necessary. Okay, my thoughts might be a little bit caveman-ish here, but it's the same as sanitizing. I don't do it. I don't clean out the old seasoning. I just put the new seasoning in. It's that simple. That's what I do. Um, as far as putting weird stuff like mouthwash in the bag, sounds like you're asking for more problems than you're going to actually resolve there. Um, so if you're going to go the mouthwash route, you're on your own there. Um, do we have any more questions come in? Roy posted a question. Let me just reload this. Ah, we do have another question from Roy. So Darren, sorry my answer is not more exciting there. Uh, my, my suggestion would be don't overthink it. Just put the new seasoning in. Roy says, question on reeds and playing with plastic chanters on bagpipes versus blackwood, which are 
which are the best for plastic and which are better for blackwood. Got it. So he's asking, what are the best reads for plastic versus blackwood bagpipe chanters? I have McCallum blackwood pipes with a blackwood chanter. Recently bought a McCallum plastic chanter to see the difference. I feel I may not be using the right reads. Okay, here's the answer. My general response here is a good chanter read is going to be a good chanter read regardless. So you, sounds like you have McCallum, Blackwood, and Poly. They're the same overall design probably, but they're just different material. The read should work really well in both, and you don't need to overthink it. Same thing, like if the read's crap in one, it's going to be crap in the other one probably too. So it's the read, right, that's going to be generating um, the harmonics and the response. And in general, doesn't matter what chanter you put it in. There are, of course, exceptions to that rule. For sure, like, you know, like a shepherd read really doesn't seem to go well in blah, blah, blah chanter, right? There's definitely instances of that. I, I avoid that problem by uh, just having my kind of go-to setup. I have a nail solo chanter that I always use, and pretty much my solo reads that I use in that chanter are all retired band reads that I have shaved down. Uh, that's just my that's just my jam. That's just what I do. I know <clears throat> at least uh, when I spend a lot of time with Jack Lee, you know, I got to see him. He would just break in new reads for his solo pipe. But he, you know, he's also playing and preparing at a level beyond me. So you know, and and he just uh, puts so many hours in. But I try to keep it simple. Um, I'm, uh, I find I get a sound I really like by taking retired band reads. Uh, making them a little bit easier and then popping them in my solo chanter. And because they were good reads before, it's still a good read, even though I'm switching chanters and even modifying the read a little bit. It's a good question. Answer, don't overthink it. Find something that sounds good and then get to work on producing awesome bagpipe quality and producing good, strong fingerwork fundamentals. Indie Piper says, I recently started using cane drone reads again. Okay. That's one of those things where I absolutely recommend that for advanced players. Um, intermediate players, too, if you really know what you're doing and you really have guidance, Kane can also be good. Uh, I have not played a synthetic read in like nine months. It's crazy. Um, you know, it's one of my big projects playing in Inverary, of course. So I've for forced myself to go cold turkey. But so far, I'm loving it. And uh, probably not going to go back unless I, you know, until the day comes where I get into serious, serious P-Brock playing again. Uh, anyway, I find the cane takes less air to sound compared to the synthetic ones. Okay, uh, theoretically it should take the same if you're calibrating things properly. Let's keep going. Uh, let's see. And sound way better. But after about five minutes of play, one or two of the canes shut off. I've used a strand of hair to keep them going, but they sound louder and take more air. Is there a better way to keep them going? Uh, I use a clip. So it's a shaped paper clip, which I can't show you how to do today, but it's something that I'm going to show people how to do in the future. Uh, it's a shaped paper clip that actually goes inside the body of the reed and helps keep the tongue propped open a little bit. And then the other thing to remember is you don't want to set up your cane drone reeds until your bagpipe has been acclimatized. So what I do is I play for 10 to 15 minutes. Then I set the pipes down for 10 to 15 minutes. Then when I pick them up after that, that's when I feel confident making changes to the cane. Uh, 
because until then there's too many changes going on in the instrument like moisture and temperature and outside environment and stuff like that uh, we want to give it a chance to settle in before we make any big choices i find a lot of my reads shut off in the beginning but then once they get moisture they sort of resume their old shape presumably and then they operate almost exactly the same every single solitary day good question there um, and uh, maybe we can go uh, do some I'll show you guys how to do the clip here someday soon Mary says I think the new warm seasoning you put in actually gets rid of some of the old seasoning gunk when you drain it yeah you shouldn't have a whole bunch of seasoning gunk laying around in the pipes a little bit yeah like especially you know where the you know uh, where the lip of the stock like overhangs like you get a little bit of gunk I guess but there shouldn't be like whole big globs of gunk hanging around in your bag um, you want to make sure to drain it out <coughs> properly after every seasoning or don't use so much seasoning in the first place is also an option right a little bit at a time don't overdo it and then you shouldn't have a bunch of old gunky seasoning laying around anyway it just sort of dries up and evaporates and just be almost becomes part of the bag on its own and then you add in a little bit after that uh, and and then you're good to go but you know if you, there's tons of gunk coming out of the pipes when you're seasoning you're probably not really approaching it the right way um, okay I am venturing that's pretty much it did I miss any questions last call for any questions although I think that's a good place to end it being almost exactly an hour uh, uh, I had a lot of fun actually I love doing this sort of uh, Q&A format it's super fun and I really enjoy it uh, and I think it's a great thing to be able to offer to the world free of charge again I'm offering this to you for free but it would be cool if instead of monetary payment you could pay me in like some likes or shares so we can help get the word out about our show because i would really love it to be something where when we go live on facebook we get you know a good crowd of people every time that would be really cool just to sort of tune in and see what the topic of the day is because i'm enjoying doing this uh, but we do need to make sure that um, you know that we spread the word as much as we can so that we can actually get some traction so if you have that in your heart uh to share us or uh you know like us on or subscribe to us on YouTube. By the way, this is going to go straight to YouTube as soon as I'm done. It also goes straight to podcast form within 24 hours or so as well. And of course, it's also published on dojouniversity.com, which is our online school for pipers. Yes, it is possible to become a paid subscriber where you can really drill down and learn pipes uh, the serious way. Uh, but there's also a lot of great free content just like this. We have articles that are being written all the time as well. So hopefully you'll check that out. I think that's going to be it. Thank you very much guys for tuning in. Um, and, uh, George, I just missed your question there. I'll comment to you. Um, I'll comment to you here shortly. That's going to end our stream. Thanks very much, everybody. See you later.